0: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you for your great mercies to us. And Lord, as we have the opportunity now of coming together, you said where two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be also. And you said if any two of you agree on earth, it will be done by my Father in heaven. You said if we lack wisdom, we should ask of God who gives liberally and without finding fault. And, and so we come before you recognizing that you are the provider of all that we need. And, Lord, we come before you asking for you to open our eyes so that we can see what is impossible for us ourselves to see. And that you might bring conviction because the Holy Spirit convicts. And, Lord, we thank you for doing what only you can do at this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> we are uh, talking about, at least the theme, is about dealing with the mind and healing the mind and the question is can you heal the mind with the mind? Can you take that which is broken and use it to fix that which is broken? Uh, that's one of the difficulties in counseling, and that's uh, it mo- pretty much what I do now. I mean, I've, yes, I've done emergency medicine and I've done lifestyle medicine, spent uh, almost 10 years at Uchi Pines Institute, and, um, you know, learning about natural remedies and helping individuals with uh, with those natural remedies and lifestyle changes in order to help them to to turn their lives and their lifestyle around. And during that process, it, it became clear to me that uh, people's problem was not their lifestyle. I know, that gets a little heretical. <laughs> <laughs> lifestyle is an effect, right? There's a reason you have a lifestyle, right? And so, if all you do is seek to arrange or rearrange the lifestyle, but you don't get to the reason that an individual has a lifestyle, then you really have nothing of lasting change that happens with somebody. They might pick up some behaviors for a while, but in time they'll go back and they'll revert back to what the old behaviors were and they find themselves just back in the old situation that they were in previously. Why? Because you didn't get to the reason why they have that lifestyle. And, and so it became evident to me over time as I dealt with individuals and then I started to deal with them again um, and, uh, you know, and I was noticing that, okay, well, something's not happening. Um, not that that's always the case. I mean, you know, there are people that get it, and they run with it, and, and their life is different, and they never go back to it, and you see this change and this transformation, but there's a lot of people who just can't make that transition. And, and what's the problem? You know, how come we can't get across that? And, and so that began to, you know, I was bothered by that. I went into medicine to help people. And, um, you know, in the first career in medicine, I realized I wasn't doing that, at least to the degree or in the way that I had hoped. And, and so, you know, then there was a transition, and, and now there's a transition as well, because now I'm focusing more on the mind and, and with counseling and helping individuals from that standpoint. It, the, and, and there are tools, as a biblical counselor, that you end up using, right? Uh, don't you use tools of scripture, Right? You use tools of prayer. Uh, you use tools of memorization. You use tools of replacement. Right? So there are there are negative thoughts. There are lies that individuals believe, and and there's you know a, a mindset and so on. And so there's the need to replace that with something that is good. But uh, you know, even looking at that, those tools are good. There's no problem with those tools. But in the wrong context, they'll do nothing to help you. Right? In the wrong context, they'll do nothing to help you. Um, <clears throat> and let me clarify when I mean that when I when I say that it won't do anything to help you. Uh, you know. Um, can it be that scripture does not help you? Can it be that prayer does not help you? Can it be that uh, memorization does not help you? Does it, can it be that taking thoughts captive and so on cannot help you? And the answer is yes. Yes, you, you can. Um, <clears throat> does Satan not have scripture memorized? Yes. Does he not know the whole Bible? Well, yes. Does it help him in any real way? No. Are, are there individuals that pray and it doesn't really help them? Well, yeah, Jesus gave the example of uh, two men that came to pray. One prayed to God and said, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not like other men. And I'm especially glad I'm not like that guy. And that guy came and he prayed in a different way. Right? So yes, you can pray and you can end up walking away without any, any real good or any benefit about, you know, associated with it. You can pray and you can pray about the problem and you can play around the problem and you can pray at the problem and you can pray all sorts of ways about the problem and all you're doing during prayer is focusing on the problem and you become more like the problem because there's a law of the mind and the law of the mind says by beholding, you become changed. So if all you do is focus on the problem when you're in prayer, then you only become more like the problem while you're praying, right? So in the wrong context, these things that are very good in and of themselves can do you no good. And you can end up in a situation where, where you're stuck, you're lost, you can't get out, and you just don't have a way of getting out. Right what happens how how does that work right there's a problem that's deeper it's more problematic than our sinful actions so our, our reading Jeremiah seventeen and verse 9 so the heart is what deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it um, it 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 gives us the idea that God is trying to tell us something, right? Is he trying to tell us something in the word? Are we always listening to what he's trying to tell us? Are we? No, no, we're not always listening to it. Because some of it just does not fit well with what we like. Um, Isaiah 64 and verse 6, right? Isaiah 64 and verse 6. You're familiar with that one, right? right? Isaiah 64 and verse 6 we're told that we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness is filthy rags, all right? So that's what our nature can produce. Our heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And in chapter one and in verses five to six, Isaiah chapter one and verses five and six says Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises, putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, and neither mollified with ointment. So the whole head is sick, the whole heart is faint. Romans 3, Romans 3 and verse 12, Romans 3 and verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Okay. So you're getting the idea where we're going. If we're going to understand the problem that we face, we have to understand the nature of man. We have to understand our very nature. And the Bible brings us out clearly, although we don't necessarily see it clearly. Maybe we do on an intellectual level, but when it comes to reality, that's a different story. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, was my mother sinful when she conceived me? Yeah, <laughs> she was. Was I a sinner when she conceived me? No, I was not a sinner. I did not have the opportunity to, uh, to, you know, make any choices, decisions, actions, and so on and so forth. But what was I born with? I was born with a nature. And that nature would inevitably lead me into sin, And I was born with that, even from conception. Matthew 15 and verse 19. Jesus' words, Matthew 15 and verse 19. For out of the heart, all right, so this is the heart that is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What comes out of that heart? For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, Oh, okay. Murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. And then he goes on to say that these are the things which defile a man. And uh, that would be actually quite an interesting discussion to get into with Jesus nowadays and say, okay, well, what defiles you? Is it what you eat that defiles you? Because I think he already had that discussion. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. It reveals what is in you. Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verses 6 through 8, for to be carnally minded is death, right? And it says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Why is the carnal mind death? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Job 14 and verse 4 Job 14 and verse 4 Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean How many <clears throat> None, no not one Jeremiah 13 and verse 23 Jeremiah 13 and verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin, or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. Uh, so can the Ethiopian change his skin? No. no, all right. Can the leopard change its spots? No. I came home with jaguar spots once. Illegally. Back in my missionary days in the jungles of Nicaragua. And, you know, sometimes the villagers would go catch the jaguars that were coming in and eating their pigs and other things like that. And so we ended up coming back with a jaguar skin. And I, I, I knew, I knew. I didn't think I'd get caught. It was before, you know, all the big regulations and all that kind of stuff. But I knew it probably wouldn't have been, you know, kosher if I would have been caught by immigration going through with a leopard skin in the case. But I made it through and guess what? That skin still has spots. <laughs> still has spots. <clears throat> Romans seven and verse twenty-four. Romans seven verse twenty four. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. What does it mean to be desperate? What's a situation where you're Desperate. All right. Well, imagine that you're out in a desert, and you're not there because you wanted to stay there, but you got caught there, and things broke down, and and uh, and so on. And maybe you were doing some off-roading and whatever, or you know, just out there in the adventures in in Utah or wherever, and and you're in the middle of nowhere. And that gas tank of yours, you went over a big rock, and you didn't realize it, but. That's been dribbling. And then it starts squirting. And pretty soon you go. Woo, 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 woo. Uh-uh. You are out of gas. And you are, I mean, you know, 100 miles from something. And you didn't go with others. You're out there just enjoying out nature, and, you know, your camera's not going to help you now. You can take all sorts of pictures you want to, but that's not going to help you. You wanted to get those pictures, you got them now, but what are you going to do with them? And you only have a limited supply of water, and you go through that pretty fast. <clears throat> and then that night comes, and it gets kind of chilly, and the next day comes, and it's pretty hot, and you don't have any more water. And you go through that day, and you, it's hot, and it's sweaty, and so on, and you know you've got to get somewhere. You can't stay with the vehicle, you've got to go. And yeah, there's a trail you follow, but you know it was a hundred miles, and you don't know what's the other way, and so you decide you're going to retrace your steps. Well, <laughs> your tire tracks, <clears throat> and you go walking, <clears throat> and there's no signal. I mean, come on, <laughs> there's none there's no and and you get through that day and you are you've got a headache and you are tired and you are parched and your tongue is you know your mouth is dry and whatever, and you make it through that night and the next day you wake up and you re, you don't know how far you got, but you know you've got a long ways to go, and you get up and you start trudging along and you're weaker and and it's just you know and, and that headache's getting worse and you start getting sick to your stomach and you start, you know, you start getting that kind of wobbly thing and you start seeing like happen off in the distance and whatever. And, and you start seeing things that aren't necessarily there and you keep going and you keep pushing and maybe you make it to that night and then the next day comes around and, and you wake up and it's been two days in the desert, the sweating, and you're not sweating anymore. Because you can't let go of any more of it. You've got to hold on to that blood pressure. And so, you know, there's no more sweating. Your temperature starts going up. You can't keep that under control. And so now you're at 103 and you start hitting 104. And, and, uh, and it's, you know, you... and you come to a spot where you obviously got off the road somewhere and you see off in the distance that there's a table. And on that table is a big pitcher, water, and it's glistening. You might think you're hallucinating, but it's your last chance of anything. But in between you and that water that you see over there is a huge cactus patch. And it runs all off that way, and it runs all off that way, and it's probably 100 or 150 feet thick, and it's thick. I mean, it's not just a little cactus here and another one there. I mean, it's growing together. Are you going to face the cactus to get to the water? Anybody would face the cactus to get to the water? Yeah? Why? Because you're desperate. You're desperate, right? You're desperate for the water. You've got to get to it because if you don't have it, you're going to die. That's what desperate is. You know what that water is to the human heart? It's wickedness. It's wickedness. The human heart is desperate for wickedness. But the human heart is not just desperate. The human heart is what? Deceitful. So when you are desperate for wickedness, do you think you're desperate for wickedness? No. You think you're desperate for Righteousness. And so you go after what you believe is righteousness with everything that you have, but you're actually pursuing wickedness. <clears throat> Ever known anybody that climbs mountains? Yeah? My father was a mountain climber, and when he was growing up, he grew up in the, well, he grew up in Colorado, and then he moved to the West Coast. And so, you know, he, he climbed a bunch of mountains out there in the West Coast that, you know, and, uh, and so on and he, 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 he's still around so he survived all of that but uh, I have not had I grew up in Florida so the closest mountain we have is Mount Dora it's a city <laughs> right and there's uh, yeah. I didn't do that um, <coughs> so, so, uh, so yeah I, I did not grow up mountain climbing I, I got to do scuba diving after a while but I didn't do any mountain climbing but But I I can imagine what it's like. How many people have died in the process of mountain climbing? How many? We don't know. We don't know, but there's a lot of them. A lot of people have died in the process of mountain climbing so that they can get to the top of that mountain. Right? Can you imagine Everest, if you're on one of those trips and you're, you know, you're camping out at however many thousand feet and you have to get used to that low elevation, and I mean, that, that high elevation, the low pressure and the low oxygen concentration and so on, and then you're going to get your Sherpa and you're going to go head on and you're going to work your way up to there. If you make it to the top of Mount Everest, what is that like? <laughs> 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 oh. Made it! But what happens if you climb to the top of that mountain but your whole world is upside down? Where'd you get? To the bottom. You just climbed to the bottom thinking you were climbing to the top. That is the deceitfulness of the human heart. It is so backwards, so messed up, so deceitful, so delusional. It doesn't even know what it's doing. Now, my, my first career after medical school was emergency medicine. And ER can be a very flavorful place to work. <laughs> and uh, there's all sorts of stuff that comes and uh, you know, that comes through those doors. And, and there are patterns. There are certain nights where it's, it's GI night and there's another night where it's trauma night and there's another night where it's baby delivery, no, go, don't stop here, go to, go to labor and delivery, don't stop in the ER. That's the one thing that an ER physician fears the most. As a, being, a baby being born in the ER, uh-uh, you go to delivery, cross your legs, go! <clears throat> you know, gunshot, sure, stabbing, sure, mash casualty, sure, baby, mmm. Right? I'm just telling you, that's how ER is. But, but, but one of those nights that you get is psych night. And psych night is interesting. It's very interesting, the different flavors that you get that come through those doors. And you might have somebody, and I, you know, the voices are talking to them. And the voices are telling them to do certain things, and they can't turn the voices off. And, and some of the things that the voices are telling them to do are not so good. Well, all right, everything the voices are telling them to do is not so good. right? If the voices were telling them good things, we'd say, okay, well, good, follow the voices. But no, the top voices are telling them to do bad things always, always. Voices don't tell them to do good things. Voices tell them to do bad things. It makes you wonder where the source of the voices are coming from. Right. <clears throat> so I have met Jesus Christ several times. And he looks different every time he comes in. And I have met the Virgin Mary a number of times as well. And she looks different each time too. And swears that she's never done anything ever in her own life, whole life and then you do a pregnancy test, and <laughs> Do you have a different story now? Um, <clears throat> you know, because they're pregnant, but they've never done anything to get pregnant, right? Um, and, I, you know, I've had people come in, and one guy, I remember, I had to put his arm back together again, why? Because he'd cut himself open, because the bugs were in there, and he had to get the bugs out. And there was the other guy, and he's like, oh, help me, save me! I'm like, what are you seeing? Like, I don't see it. What's it? It's a big bug coming out of the wall. Look at it. It's like six feet. I'm like, no, oh, no bugs. And they're the ones that, that have that microchip planted in their brain and, and the military's controlling them and making them do things and so on. And there's the other guy who's listening to the news anchor at the, you know, the evening news and the news anchor's sending them special messages directly to him through the television and, you know, and so on. And there's the ones that have superpowers and they can walk through walls and go flying and other things like that. I challenged them and never, I never did it. And, uh, you know, and, and so on. There are all sorts of delusions that people can have. And guess what? Everyone that has a delusion doesn't believe it's a delusion. They believe it's true. They believe it's true. Even the guy who comes in with with the cops and the EMS... They come in with, you know, and they are fighting and, oh man, and somebody's on this arm and the other one's on this arm and somebody on that leg and that leg and somebody holding their head so they don't bite somebody else who's, you know, so you can, you can wrestle them in and get them on a bed and strap them down before they kill somebody. But you know what? If you got into their head and you could see what they were seeing, you would understand why they were doing what they were doing. Because to them, it's real. Absolutely real. There's a, and, and if we saw the same thing, and we were in the same reality, we would respond the same way. <clears throat> and I've never been able to get somebody who is delusional and talk them out of their delusion and convince them that I was not delusional, and they were. Because if I don't agree with their delusion... I'm delusional in their minds, right? Never been able to do it. The only thing I know of from that standpoint, you give them some powerful medication and you wait and it starts kicking in and they start waking up at some point, right? Or calming down at least. What if we were delusional? What if we were all delusional with the same delusion? So if we checked with each other, we essentially had the same story. How would we know if we were delusional or not? How would we know? Are you so sure that your reality is real? And that what you see and how you perceive is how it really is? Because if you are so sure it's real, nobody will ever be able to convince you otherwise, and you will continue to live your reality. But is it? Is it? <clears throat> you know, we're all born with a delusional state, right? Has not God been trying to tell us that for thousands of years? Is that not what we just read about in all of these passages? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? All your righteousnesses are filthy rags. How can that be the case if it truly is righteous? Because it's not. You think it is, but it's not. He even says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. I don't think like you do. You don't think like I do, because And how, as God, do you take a delusional world with a delusional disorder and convince the deluded ones that they're deluded? How do you do it? You can't do it by telling them, because he's been telling us for thousands of years and we still don't. We still don't get it. How? All right, somebody mentioned sinful nature. We born with sinful nature? Yeah? How sinful is sinful nature? All right, sinful. Sinful means... Full of sin, right? No room for anything else. That's what full means, no room for anything else. So we have a sinful nature, so it's full of sin, no room for anything else. So how much good does the sinful nature have? There is none, that, none that's good. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Okay, well, we did just this little sin, And therefore, by that little sin, we fall short of the glory of God. And the rest of us is good. And once that one little will be taken care of, then the rest will be okay. Is that how it goes? No. We don't have a clue of what happened to humanity. When Eve believed that lie and ate that fruit, and when Adam followed after her, we don't have a clue. Everything changed. Everything changed. Yeah, we look at it as one fruit, one bite, one little thing. Uh uh-uh. uh. Their whole world turned upside down, their whole perspective turned upside down. Everything got reversed and turned around. Everything that had been gain is now loss. And everything that had been loss is now gain. And so man goes after gain, which really is loss, (laughs) but thinking that it's gain. And so we go where gain is. But where where is gain? Gain is where loss truly is. (laughs) We see gain where loss truly is. Where is loss? Loss is outside of God's law. And man sees gain out there. And where is true gain? Inside God's law. But where does man see loss? Inside God's law. law. It's captivity to be inside God's law. Freedom is out there. It's dry in here. It's moist out there. And so the heart always goes after gain, at least what it perceives to be gain. And in that moment of the the deception, gains and losses, upside down. And we pursue everything backwards. We see everything backwards. We go climbing that mountain and patting ourselves on the back and yay, when we have just climbed to the very bottom, the very bottom. So that sinful nature cannot, uh, cannot do anything <laughs> good, right? And it's crazy. We think we're okay if we have a thought or desire that might not be good. We just don't act it out, right? So we can, we can think the evil. We can ruminate on the evil, but just as long as we don't let it out, then we'll be okay. <clears throat> Great. Wonderful. Yes, no, I'm fine. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Is that what Jesus said? No, he said, yeah, you've heard that it's said that, you know, and it's in the law, so you've heard it, and it said that, that, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you lust after her in your mind, it's adultery. If you hate him in your heart, it's murder. You don't have to act it out. You don't have to act it out. Now, I'm not saying that it's it's. I'm not saying that it's not a good idea that if you have the bad thoughts and you have the other things like that to hold it in and not let it come out. I'm not saying that. You know, I mean, it's better uh, for the other guy for you not to have the actions of murder than it is for you to have the thoughts of murder. But as far as your concern is God's concern with you, it doesn't matter. How much evil can the sinful fallen nature do? What is it capable of? Every evil this world has ever seen. How much of that evil nature is in you and me? Same thing? Same thing? So what is it in reality that separates me and you from Hitler? Circumstances and opportunity. Circumstances and opportunity. That's what separates us from anybody else. Because we all have the same... Nature, And that nature that we have is capable of acting out every evil possible. And it doesn't matter if you ever acted out or not. Guess what? It's in you. It's in you. Now, <clears throat> it's better for you not to act it out. Let me clarify that. It's better for you not to act it out. But it's in you. And if you think that you are okay when you have the bad thoughts and the bad whatever and all that kind of stuff inside of you and you just don't let it out, then that's part of the deception. Because... What God intends for us is how He created us in the beginning. And what He intends for it, us is what we see in Jesus. Did He harbor those thoughts? No. No. So we have a problem of nature. Problem of nature. Can you, with the fallen nature, choose to not think and do evil? I repeat that. Can you, with the fallen nature, choose to not think and do evil? No, you can't. Can you, with the fallen nature, choose to do and think good? No. No. Choice does not create. If it did, choice would be God. Choice does not take what does not exist and now bring it into existence. And if there is no good in you, then choice does not create good in you. You can, in a nature uh, that is completely evil, never choose good. And create it by the choosing. In an evil, sinful nature, you can only choose evil. You can choose either to do the evil that is before you, or you can choose to do good for an evil reason. Which itself is evil. So, you can have evil in church, and you can have evil in the... Alright, mixed company, not going to... All right. In in the world, right? Down the red light district or other places like that, right? You can have evil there, but you can have evil in church too. Because evil can do the good for an evil purpose. And so evil can do prayer, and evil can do Bible, and evil can do church, and evil can do tithe, and evil can do soup kitchens, and evil can do all sorts of things. Evil can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And evil can have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. And evil can even give all that it has to the poor and even surrender itself to the flames. But it can do so for my name's sake, which is evil. So, Jesus said, Matthew 7, let's go there, Matthew seven, seventeen and 18, oh, a, that Sermon on the Mount was just amazing, amazing, Matthew 7, 17 and 18, uh, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Right. So let me ask you this. What if you have a tree that has mixed fruit? So we understand what Jesus said, right? If, it's, if you look at the tree and it's all rotten, it's a rotten tree. And if you look at a tree and it's all good, it's a good tree. But if, what if you have a tree that has some gaunt, rotten stuff and some good stuff on it? What kind of tree is it now? Isaiah 64 and verse 6. But we are all a bad tree. And all our good fruit is bad fruit. That's right. And we, all, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Revelation 3 and verse 17. Come on, Laodicea. We know this one. Right? You think you're rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, you think you're a good tree with good fruit. And notice, not, and notice not that you are rich and miserable, poor, blind and naked. You don't know you're a bad tree with bad fruit. Because the good fruit on your bad tree is just a delusion. It's a delusion. It's a delusional state. James went on to say in James three eleven and 12, says, Doth a fountain send forth the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries and a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So according to the word and the examples given in the word, are you sane or are you crazy? how is he going to show us if he can't tell us? If the craziness is so deep that if he looked us in the eye and told us what was wrong, we still wouldn't believe him. And you might be thinking, well, nah, it's not that bad. I mean, if God came and Jesus came and he told me what the problem was, I'd say, okay, well, that's the problem. That must be the problem. Uh Uh-uh. You think you're better than the disciples? I mean, Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And of course, you know, they listed off what people were saying. and said, well, what about you? What do you say? Peter, he spoke up. You, <laughs> you're, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. He said, shh, don't tell anybody until you see, you know, something happening. Well, next week that happened. And, you know, they were up on the mountain, all that kind of stuff, and, and so on. And now Jesus is in his last day with his disciples before his crucifixion. And he's having this last supper with them. And he says, all of you are going to desert me this night. How many believed him? Oh, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Yes, we believe you are. Oh, you're going to desert me. Tonight. Oh, not me. Not me. Oh, no, 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 no. Not me. Peter's like, Mm-mm, even if all of them do, I won't. Jesus is like, Peter, you, tonight. Before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Uh-uh. Jesus had even brought scripture into this. He, he's trying to come back around to it again and again and again. And guess what? They don't get it. He said, strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. All of you will desert me this night. They're like, uh-uh, not us. <clears throat> right? So it's like the crazy person being brought into the emergency department and I as a doctor look him in the face and I say, I'm sorry, that's not real. It's not real. They're like, oh, it's real. No, it's not real. It's real. No, it's not real. Oh, it's real. You know, and then you got to walk away (laughs) because you're just going to get upset. So what's the medicine that God has to take somebody who's delusional and wake them up? It's demonstration. It's demonstration. What do I mean? When did the disciples finally acknowledge that Christ was correct? After? After they they, they fled away. He could never convince them before they did it. But after they did it, and then he came back to the issue again, they couldn't deny it because they did it. Let me grab a bottle. So hey, oh, I could have grabbed one of those, but I don't, those are nice and pretty, and I don't want to move that. So here I have a bottle. And this bottle might have lava, vodka, water, orange juice, milk, marbles, King Cobra, something inside of it, maybe, maybe there's nothing, how am I going to know? So if it gets spilled over and what's inside comes, comes spilling out, now we can see it. Now we can see it. Now the human heart will do what? It'll blame what knocked it over for what came spilling out right that's what the human heart will do it'll knock what came uh, it'll, it'll 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 blame what knocked it over for what came spilling out but if I got this bottle and I knocked it over and you came and you knocked it over and we got the cat and the cat knocked it over and something else came along and that knocked it over what's going to come out same thing. same thing because the only thing that can come out is what's in there God cannot convince us about how evil we are until the evil comes out, until the evil comes out. And so God allows circumstances and situations and other things to come along that will... Knock the bottle over so that what's inside will come out. Not so that he can see what's inside. He already knows. It's so that I can see what's inside because I don't know. And if I blame somebody else for what comes out of me, I'm not going to learn my lesson. Bottles got to get knocked over again. And if I still blame somebody else for what comes out, then I'm not getting my lesson that's got to get knocked over again and again and again and again and however many thousand, ten thousand, whatever times that it needs to until I get the idea it came out of me because it's in me. It's in me. Can't come out otherwise. Only when we realize that the problem is inside of us, not outside of us, only then do we have hope, only then. And you have a nature, and I have a nature that can never fix the problem, because the problem is the nature. And you cannot take the nature and fix the nature with the nature. And you cannot take and this is the problem with counseling, and, and it's a, you know something that I'm learning. I cannot take the defective mind and fix the defective mind with the defective mind. I can't take somebody that has the infection in it and clear the infection with the infection. Can't do it? right? It's impossible. So you know, Jesus gave these, these parables, right? It says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto this, and the kingdom of heaven is like unto this. Man is like unto this. An individual's computer begins to dysfunction, and once their computer becomes so problematic they can't ignore the dysfunction anymore, they take it to the computer repair department and find out that it's full of viruses. And the computer repair department offers to use a computer and program that have no viruses in it to restore the computer to proper function but the computer owner decides they'll try to fix the problem themselves with the same computer that's infected. How well is that gonna work out? All right, another scenario. Individual has a heart problem that continues to get worse over time. Eventually, the problem becomes so prominent that they can't ignore it anymore, and they go to the doctor and find out they have a progressive terminal condition of the heart. And the surgeon offers to perform a surgery to save their life, a heart transplant, but the person decides "Mm, they'll fix the problem themselves. And so they study heart transplant surgeries. They watch videos. They learn all the steps of the procedure. They collect all the supplies that are necessary to set everything up and determine that if if they're gonna die from the condition, they might as well die trying to fix it. So, biting on a piece of cloth, they begin to cut and proceed with the surgery. how well is that gonna go? Yeah, Not so well. (laughs) Not so well. You're in prison. And as a prisoner, can a prisoner get out of prison? You're there with a life sentence, no hope of parole. You're getting out of prison in a casket. That's it. In a casket but you don't like this idea. So now that you're in prison, you want to get out. And so you try to get out. And you do everything that you can to get out. And you try to break out. It doesn't work. You try to sneak out. It doesn't work. You try to dig out. It doesn't work. You try to fake out. I'm an architect or whatever. It doesn't work. You try to create a riot. To get out it doesn't work you try to grab one of the one of the officers and put a gun you grab their gun and stick it to their head and get yourself out it you you are not getting out and you figure out all those bad things are not working so you try the good side and you try good behavior and you try being nice and kind and you try making friends with the officers and you try to get to know the prison warden and be good with the prison warden and all that kind of stuff and you try to get out and you try to go free guess what not gonna work There's this group that's meeting there and they're doing Bible studies and prophecy stuff and other things like that. And So you go to it and you get your Bible and you read your Bible and you pray and you do all these different things and you try to go, you know, you do all this stuff in order to get free and out of the prison. Is it going to work? No. Not going to work. And one day, a letter is written. That letter is sent to the prison warden. The prison warden hands it to an officer. An officer comes and takes it and brings it to your prison cell. And hands it to you says, Here, read this. And you realize it's a pardon. And that pardon has your name on it. And you realize you're being offered... Freedom. And the officer says, Come follow me. And you say, Hmm, no, nah, I'm staying here. <laughs> Not smart, right? <laughs> officer says, Okay, come follow me. And you're like, past him and off that way. No. And he says, Come follow me. You're like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and pray and I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna do that and I'm good. You going free? No? Officer says, come follow me. And you, oh, you wrestle him, you grab that gun, stick it to the head and say, get me out now. You going free? No. If you don't cooperate with the process that is setting you free, if you try to take over at any point along the way, guess what? You are not going free. Because though you are considered free, when you accept the pardon, you are still where? You're still in prison. And it's a process to set you free. You could never put that process into motion. You could never make it happen. By anything you ever tried and so on, you can never do it. But when the pardon is offered to you, now you can accept it. But if you grew up in that prison and that's all you ever knew, that might be a really hard decision. Because you might be leaving people, you might be leaving familiarity and other things of that nature behind and there's an uncertainty in the freedom. Because you've never been there. You've heard about it, you're told that it's really nice, but you've never been there and you're not exactly sure. So you gotta be willing to walk away from everything you've ever known. And follow the officer, every step of the way in order to be free. God has given us one supernatural choice that is not native to our fallen nature. There is one choice that you can exercise that will lead you to freedom. You cannot choose to change your heart. You cannot choose what you're attracted to. You cannot choose what you consider to be a gain or loss. You cannot choose to think, say, or do anything out of a right motive. You cannot choose to have a different identity. You cannot choose to not sin in the face of temptation. Because you will either give in to the sin or you will avoid it for the wrong motive. But you can choose whom you will serve. That choice is given to man. You can choose whom you will serve. You can give him your will. And he will then work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Only then will he be able to clean your virus infected mind. Only then will he be able to take you to surgery. Only then will he be able to set you free from the prison. And what is the difference between the one and the other look like? Beforehand, before I accept the grace of God, while I'm still doing things on my own, I do what I do trying to become free. Afterwards, I do it because I am being set free. Beforehand, I do what I do in order to convince God to set me free. Afterwards, I do what I do because I'm convinced God is setting me free. Beforehand, I'm the one in charge. God is my assistant. Afterwards, God is the one in charge. I'm his assistant. Beforehand, I do things in a commanding, demanding way, and afterwards, I do things in a spirit of cooperation. Beforehand, I trust to any degree in anything that I'm doing to set me free. And afterwards, I'm convinced nothing of mine can set me free. I trust wholly to him. And though the things that you do may be exactly the same, it might be Bible and scripture memorization and replacing the thoughts with promises of God's Word, it might be prayer and all those things, but the reason why you're doing it is entirely different, and that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. Are you willing? Are you willing to let Him take you into that heart surgery? It's painful. It is. Surgery is never painless. Unless you don't wake up. <clears throat> but whatever the surgery was, you hope you're going to wake up. And there's pain. And open heart surgery and heart transplant is no exception to the rule. It's painful. But the problem is far worse than the pain that's, necess- that's needed in order to fix it. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. I mean, some people are really at the point where life is such a living hell <clears throat> that they're finally willing to submit to the surgeon's knife, however painful it may be, if only they might be free. Others have come to the point of realizing my situation is so bad, there's no way I could ever fix it, ever. There's no hope whatsoever of me fixing this thing. And if that's the only hope I have, then I'll let him cut. But if you make that decision, If you choose to surrender, then realize he's the one that decides what he cuts, when he cuts, how he cuts, when he stops, everything along the way. You don't take over, and he will bring you to a point where you know you are going to die. You know. You're going to die. And you say, okay, Lord, if this is the end, then it's the end. But it will be at your hands. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. If that is something you're willing to commit to now, then I'm going to pray and we're going to close our eyes. And if that's your commitment now, then just raise your hand to heaven. Yes, Lord, that's me. Dear Heavenly Father, here we are. We have nothing good in and of ourselves. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All we have is a nature that is completely wicked, completely evil, completely deceived, completely, oh, so messed up. And even the righteousness that we thought we had, we don't, we don't have any, none. And you are our only hope. And so Lord, we choose to let you pick up that scalpel and those instruments and do whatever you know is necessary in order to set us free. And whatever cooperation you need from our side, here we are. What would you have me to do? And thank you, Lord, for setting us free, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse